Good to see you here this morning. We are starting a new series today that we're calling Convinced. And I've really been looking forward to this series because the truths that we're going to be talking about are very important to our lives, but they're not, they're not things that we consider very often. It's not something that comes up every morning when you wake up, you know, think, hey, how do I get convinced or what do I need to be convinced of or all of that. So we're going to be looking at that. It's going to be helpful, I believe, as we dig into the scripture to find out what it says about the need to be convinced. Because the way we live is based on the things of which we are convinced. Um, Who we turn to to solve problems uh, and deal with stress tells us what we've learned, uh, what we've experienced in life. Maybe we've learned or experienced that we can only trust ourselves, so we turn to ourselves. Or maybe we have learned to trust science. You know, we have some kind of issue with our health and Science is going to figure it out, Lord willing, and, and you know, before I really need it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's God. Many, many here trust God, uh, and we turn to him. And we've learned to do this by experience, because we've become convinced of the reality of those things. Um, how we make decisions is based on what we're really convinced of. The choices we make every day, uh, what we do with our time, our money, what we're willing to sacrifice for is what we're really convinced is true. The things we build our lives on really are called convictions. I mean, there, there are things we believe, but then there are things we really believe. Some things we believe in our heads, some things we believe, and they've gotten to our heart. And we really believe these things. Conviction, if you go to the dictionary, um, the first definition of conviction is if you have a conviction, that's a really bad thing. You know, you don't want a conviction in a court of law. You've been convicted of a crime. That's the first definition. This is the second definition in the dictionary. A strong belief or opinion The feeling of being sure that what you believe or say is true. Or in other words, what you're saying, what you believe, lines up with what's real. What is really there. A conviction is a belief that you're willing to pay a high price for. You're willing to suffer for it. Now, I went through an an interesting time when I was in seminary, which is graduate school, getting ready for the ministry. And I had some questions that were, I'll say, haunting me. They just kept coming up. And there are questions about Christianity, how this fits, why why this is the way it is, and what's going on here. And I decided that I was going to pursue the answers to those questions. If I didn't come up with them, I was going to leave the ministry. I wasn't going to give up on God. But I was going to just leave the ministry because what good is a guy who doesn't have any answers to the questions that people tend to ask? So that made sense to me. I, I pursued the answers to my questions, which, which are normal questions that we have. Questions are what we come up with when we try to figure God out based on the way the world is and everything that goes on in our lives. So I, I started pursuing the answers. 
And I came up with answers. And so that's why I'm here. <laughs> You're wondering, why is he here this morning? What, what's going on with him up there? Well, the reason I'm here is because I, I came up with the answers that made sense to me, and they've proven true over the 30 years since that, that time. They've proven true in my experience over and over and over again. If you're investigating Christianity, I want to encourage you to investigate what it means to follow Christ with us. Investigate with us. We, we welcome that. We welcome questions, trying to figure things out. That's the way it is. That's normal. Um, in this series, what you'll find is how you actually get convinced and how you stay convinced over a long period of time. So I, I'd like to invite you to do, if you doubt Christianity, I'd like you to do what one author I read recently said. He said, I encourage you to doubt your doubts. <laughs> I'd actually never heard anybody say that before. It makes sense, you know, doubt your doubts. Sometimes we pick up things in culture endemically. I mean, they're, they're just there, and we buy into them, and we never really doubt them. But they're, in our culture, the flow is going away from believing in God and in the Bible and Scripture. And, and so I encourage you to doubt your doubts. Check out Christianity. See, see what it's all about. Consider the difference that being convinced that God is real can make. And that's what we're going to talk about. The, the difference that being convinced that God is real and that the Bible is true can make in your life. And it's tremendous. Today what we're going to look, look at is the impact that uh, it makes on your own life and the life of those around you to be convinced Next week, I want to look at how we get convinced. What, what is it that God uses to get us to the point where we know this is true? Um, it's, the reason we want to look at that is because people who get convinced of the right things make an impact positively in the world, and they're in better shape on into eternity. Uh, their families become different. Uh, as they relate to them among their friends, they make an impact and at work and in the world at large. Tremendous difference that's made. And we're going to look at the life of a guy today that shows the difference that's made. The third week, we'll look at the essential truths to believe and hear from a few few folks. I'm, I'm excited about this, and I know you probably will be too, to hear from somebody besides myself. But there are going to be two or three folks sharing about um, how God has convinced them of some essential things about who he is and about what scripture says. And then we're going to be talking about how that happens. And so my hope is that you begin to see and hear from others how we get convinced. Then we'll wrap up the fourth week by talking about how to hold on to the right convictions because... Uh, sometimes it's like you're, you're hanging on a cliff and you're sliding, you know, everything's fighting against those convictions. So I'd like to kick off the series by highlighting the story of a man that you may or may not have heard of. Uh, he got convinced and he had a world changing positive impact because of that. And he shows what being convinced can do. His name, 
uh, was William Wilberforce. And he, he's the one man most responsible for a- abolishing the slave trade, the African slave trade in England. Uh, here's a book, picture of a book cover. I don't know if you can see it very well. Um, but here, here's a picture of a biography that was written in 2007 by Eric Metaxas. You may have seen the movie. It was called Amazing Grace. It was really very well done. A good movie. Uh, and it was about his life and how God used him uh, to abolish the slave trade, the African slave trade in Britain. And they were world power. It was entrenched in their economics, so it was a major fight that he took on. African slavery is one of the worst stains in human history. Uh, It was so deeply entrenched in America that it required the Civil War to end it, and 618,000 men died in the Civil War over this issue. So this is an issue that was entrenched, entrenched in our economy at the time, in Britain's economy at the time. In contrast to the Civil War, Wilberforce led the charge against slavery in the British Empire and brought it down through legislation. That's tougher to say than it seems. Legislation and restitution. So that's how he did it. He, He didn't start out with the conviction that this was wrong or even really have much concern over African slave trade. Uh, But he moved from a life of wealth, extravagance, and indulgence. He grew up in a well-connected family, and he moved from that life to being convinced under God's direction to do whatever he could with his life to end this evil slave trade that was going on at the time. The biography traces the things God used to move Wilberforce from unconvinced to convinced. And I'd like to just cover cover a couple of those. When he was 10, his mother got gravely ill. She got very sick. She survived, but she was very sick. So he lived with his aunt and uncle for a couple of years. The family that he was in was extremely wealthy. As I said, he grew up that way, very indulged, you know, had money to do whatever he wanted. So he did it. Um, and he went to spend some time with the aunt and uncle. They were serious Christians. The, the family he grew up in, they went to church. They were churchians. You know, they, they did church. They didn't really follow Christ that seriously. They kind of did it because it seemed like the thing to do at the time. But his aunt and uncle had come to know Christ at a very personal level. And so as he spent time with them... He saw them take the Bible seriously and begin to live it out. This began to make an impact on his life. He attended their church with them. And the pastor of their church was John Newton. And we sing a song that he wrote, and we know it well. If you only know one hymn, you know this song, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote the song. And so he began to spend time in this environment of serious Christians who actually lived it out, it was very attractive to him. He was young, he was 10, but this began to leave an imprint in his heart. But when his grandfather and his mother realized what was happening and that he'd come under the influence of these crazy Christians who actually took the Bible seriously, they yanked him out of there. And, oh, here's John Newton. 
This is a biography on Newton. Um, but anyway, when they realize he's coming under Newton's influence and his aunt and uncle who were serious about following God, they pulled him out of there. They would have none of that because that was considered, you know, too lowly for them to be involved in a church that actually lived out the scriptures. So they pulled him out of there. And he went on from then to attend Cambridge, where he met the uh, future prime minister of England, William Pitt the Younger. I, I didn't know there was an older, but an elder, but there is. William Pitt the Younger. And at 21, Wilberforce gets elected the, to Parliament uh, in 1780. Now, in that day, hang with me, if you will. Talking about William, we're going to get to the scripture. We're going to see how it all ties together, but hang with me. Um, spending some time on this. In, in that day, wealthy Brits traveled the, the French Riviera in the winter. Um, and in 1785, he traveled with a friend who was a giant. And you know, the picture it paints in the biography is he's like this giant, manly man, but very committed to following Christ and to Christian truth. And so they get into these dialogues and discussions on, on the way to the French Riviera, on the way back. There were three or four trips that they took, uh, and they, they just vehemently... Wilberforce was a brilliant guy, and so he, he's trying to figure Christianity out. He's got all these questions. They're in this discussion, and uh, they're talking about Christianity, the Bible... Both men said in their diaries that they were marked by the dialogue that they carried out on these trips as they discussed the true nature of things. And that's, that's what we're talking about, getting convinced of the true nature of life and what's going on. Wilberforce was gripped at this moment by the need to investigate the scriptures for himself. And we're going to look next week at how that that's actually how you get convinced is you've got to do some investigating for yourself. You've got to check it out on your own. But anyway, he was gripped with the need and he wrote in his diary at the time, what madness is this course I am pursuing? I believe all the great truths of the Christian religion, but I'm not acting as though I did. So he's saying it was in my head. I believe these things, this, this big dude, manly guy that believed these things and actually had the intellect to explain it to me. He convinced me of the truth at a head level, but it hadn't gotten to my heart yet. I hadn't start, started to live these things out. So not long after writing this, he became convinced through personal investigation of the truths of the scriptures. He realized he had desperately fallen short of what God wanted him to do and what where did he turn at that moment? Back to John Newton, the guy he came, became acquainted with from 10 to 12. He got involved in Newton's church. He had, he had visited Newton every Saturday. They'd spend time in the home. And John Newton helped him sort things out and give himself to God. He, he at first thought he should leave Parliament, leave that life sort of set out for full-time Christian ministry. Newton convinced him to stay in Parliament and use the connections that he had for, for God's purpose. And so he, he did. But while he related to Newton, he got established in the basics of the faith, Bible reading, study, prayer, so on. He, 
Newton recommended books to read and to study along with teachers and speakers to go listen to, and Wilberforce did, and he soaked it all in. He went, he read, he listened. As he was grounded in the faith, God began to, to move in Wilberforce's heart to abolish slavery, to work to abolish slavery. And he began by abolishing the slave trade. And the first bill that he presented to Parliament was in 1791. He'd been in Parliament for about 11 years at this time. And he presented this bill in 1791. It was defeated by a huge margin. He was very discouraged. But he, he worked tirelessly to gain the evidence against the slave trade and provide the information uh, to the public about it. And he ramped up a second bill in 1796. Six years later, it was defeated by four votes. At this point, he's, he's almost done. He wants to quit. And he goes to talk to Newton. And Newton urges him to stay after it. And this is what he said, but I would leave a more favorable impression upon your mind before I conclude. The Lord reigns. He has all hearts in his hands. He is carrying on his great designs in a straight line and nothing can obstruct, can obstruct them. When you get convinced of a truth like that, the Lord reigns. He has all hearts in his hands. He's carrying on his great designs. In the world, when you get a hold of a truth like that, you get convinced of it, life takes on meaning. This is when life begins to mean something. Wilberforce then pursued for 10 more years on trying to abolish the slave trade through Parliament. And finally, in, 19, in 1807, sorry, the slave trade was abolished with a vote of 283 to 16. I'd like you to see a, a video clip from the movie that shows the vote when it was abolished. On the Home and Foreign Slave Trade Act, the unamended bill calling for the abolition of the slave trade throughout the entire British Empire nose to the left 16. Eyes to the right, 283. I declare the bill of abolition of the slave trade to be passed. Lesser believe. What does that mean? It means my nobility obliges me to recognize the virtue of an exceptional commoner. People speak of great men, they think of men like Napoleon, men of violence, 
Rarely do they think of peaceful men. But contrast the reception they will receive when they return home from their battles. Napoleon will arrive in pomp and in power. A man who has achieved the very summit of earthly ambition. And yet his dreams will be haunted by the oppressions of war. William Wilberforce, however, will return to his family, lay his head on his pillow, and remember, the slave trade is no more. Now you need to see the movie so you know who they were, the little facial cameos there. Um, I like what he said, what the guy said. He'll go to bed tonight knowing that he worked to abolish the slave trade and was successful. And this is a value of becoming convinced of the right things and giving your life to the right things. You, You can sleep at night. You can go to sleep tonight knowing that you spent yourself for something that really matters. That's why I took the time to look at Wilberforce because people who are convinced of the right things make the difference for good in their families, among their friends, at their workplace, and then in the world at large. It's the people who are convinced Not just the people who sort of think it might be this, but those who at a heart level are willing to pay a price for what they're convinced is true. That's what makes a difference in our own lives, among our families, at work, among our friends, and in the world at large. This is why getting convinced is so important Let's look at some examples and statements from Scripture that show the importance of getting convinced. First, living convinced gives your life a bedrock. There's this solid foundation that's not there if if you're just floating around. Paul was a radical convert to Christianity in the first century, primary pioneer of the faith uh, to the non-Jewish world. He had a, a, a protege, someone he was training in the faith named Timothy, And he wrote a letter that's become scripture uh, because God breathed it out, wrote it through Paul to Timothy. And this is what it says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's not because of what we do or don't do. 
It's because of God's purpose and grace that he saves us in Jesus Christ, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing, the appearing of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and suffering, which is why I suffer as I do. Now, this is an important point. He just sort of says, well, this is why I suffer as I do. That word, we're going to look at it next week, that word suffer is an interesting one. But what he's saying is, these are things I believe to the point I'm willing to suffer for them. He's writing from prison. <laughs> he's taken beatings. He's taken, he's taken on all kinds of pain because he believes that God has called him to do what he's doing, and he's doing it. So this is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Look at some of the statements Paul makes. I know whom I have believed. The word know literally means to see. In, in the original language it was written in, it means to see. So we know God better as we see him work with our own eyes, as we see him do things, as we step out to follow him. It's not by sort of bouncing around the Bible in our heads and thinking about, well, yeah, that's a great idea. Let me think about that and consider it. No, it's as we act on what we see in Scripture and we step out to obey it and then we begin to experience God actually is who he says he is and he comes through for me to help me to do what he wants me to do. That's how we get convinced. So he says, I know whom I have believed. Paul's grown to trust God to the point where he's willing to suffer in prison and die. Because he'd seen God come through over and over again. Then he keeps going on and making other statements like that. I am convinced. I'm persuaded. I have confidence in this. You can read about Acts and Paul's exploits in following God, and see how God came through over and over and over again for him. He, he really believed. Paul really believed. This wasn't stuff in his head. This was in his heart of hearts, and he was willing to put his life on the line for these things. He goes on, he says, Because I know God, I know whom I have believed in, I know that God is able to guard what is entrusted to me against that day. So he knew God's power because he had sought to do God's will and God had given him everything he needed to do his will and fulfill his purpose. So he knew this. He knew this by experience. This is how you get convinced. This is how you understand who God really is. Being convinced of God's power and guidance lays a solid bedrock for life. Living convinced also encourages others to find the same bedrock. Timothy's own faith and convictions were handed down in his family. He, he had to make a choice himself. But he grew up in an environment, you find out in 2 Timothy, uh, that was a faith environment. His family was a family of faith. And it says in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that has dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
Many had deserted Paul, but Timothy had hung in there with him. When times got tough, when the persecution hit, Timothy hung in because he really believed. He had a a grandmother, Lois, a mother, Eunice, who showed him the faith. And then he began to live it himself. And as he lived the faith, he got convinced. So he was ready to uh, pay a price for it as well. But the idea here is, would you get convinced of what's really right and true? The people around you are encouraged to do the same, like he was in his family. Uh, his, his faith ran deep in his veins, not because he borrowed it from his grandmother and mother, but because he began to live like they did, and it made a difference in his life. This is our role as parents, to live the right convictions and to hand them off to our children and our grandchildren. This is, this is our call. This is what we're to do. Later in the letter, Paul tells Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you learned and have firmly believed. Firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He learned from Paul, his mom, his grandmother, probably others, just like Wilberforce, had caught the faith from his aunt and uncle. He saw it lived out there. He got to know John Newton, who encouraged him to live the faith as well. Convictions are contagious. That's why they're so important. And if we'll live the convictions out, it begins to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. I was shocked one time my mom was going to speak to a small women's group here at the church way back when we were very young as a church body. And uh, I read the testimony that she was going to to write, but I, I always thought my mom... You know, my mom was my mom. I always thought she was a Christian. You know, she kind of like grew up as a saint or something, you know. But that, that's not how it works. You know, she, the, you, you, everybody has to decide for themselves. But she was describing who it was that made an impact on her own life. And it was her mother-in-law. My, my grandmother, whom I never met. <laughs> and... Talking about her about this later, she talked about how her her mother-in-law, my dad's mom, set a tremendous example for her of kindness. And she shared the gospel with her, and that's what drew her into following Christ. She grew up in a home where I I always thought they went to church, my mom said, but I think they dropped my mom off at church. My my grandfather, whom I never met as well, on that side, was the son of a preacher, man, son of a preacher, man, it's a song, should be a song about that. Uh, he was the son of a preacher, and he said, I'm never going to church again because they'd have traveling preachers come through, and as a kid, he'd have to shine their boots. He hated that, so I'm done with church. I don't know. Made sense to him. But they never went to church much. But here it is. My mom meets her mother-in-law or gets around her mother-in-law in a way that draws her to the same convictions. Because convictions are contagious. That's why it's so important. Your life and your legacy can impact others long after you're dead, long after you live. It can go on and on and on. The convictions of others can be strengthened by yours right now. Your family and friends 
as they observe your life, as they observe you living your faith, they can draft strength from you for living. If your convictions are rooted deeply in the gospel, the grace of God, uh, and in God's word, it's a powerful source for, for strength, for living life that can be caught by the people around you. Because God empowers us to do far more than we thought we could. And he sort of nudges us to do more than we think we could or that we ever dreamed of doing. And when we step out to do it and live by our convictions, others are drawn along. Now, in, in, on the flip side, if you waffle, the same thing happens. Others are tempted to waffle. So becoming convinced is crucial. Now, you may be here this morning, you feel like you're a ball of uncertainty. No, I just don't know. I don't know if I can figure this out. I don't know if this makes any sense. And maybe your uncertainty at times has caused you to blow it big time. You've been uncertain, you're not sure. And because of your uncertainty, it's like, hey, I'm going to do what I want to with my life. There are two men that should really encourage you. We've talked about both of them this morning. John Newton and Paul. Paul persecuted Christians. John Newton was entrenched in the slave trade. Very evil endeavor. And the great thing about God is it's never too late to turn around and gain his acceptance if you'll choose to do that. This is the inspiring part of John Newton's story, whose own conversion took place after many years of wild, wild living and involvement in the slave trade. He was a slave ship captain. And even after many years of following Christ, this is what he said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. This is what happens. Um, we have these cringe moments. We look back and cringe. And if you've come to Christ, you can turn the cringe moment, the, the heart that shudders, into God, thank you for the grace you poured out into me. A gratitude that leads you to obedience to him. Once he became convinced, Newton's faith in Christ changed his views and perspective, especially his conviction regarding the value of all human life. And so his life took on deep meaning. This is what happens when you get convinced of the right things. Life becomes meaningful. It counts. It matters. And until his death, Newton invested in people, encouraging them to walk with God in the place where God had placed and assigned them, living out their own convictions as God grew them in their hearts and minds. The song he wrote, Amazing Grace, tells us about the bedrock of his life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, I now am found was blind, but now I see. We want to be a church that helps you come to know God, to see him at work in your life, to experience him through Jesus Christ. We want to help you get more and more convinced of this over your lifetime, that Jesus is who he said he is, that God is true, that he reigns, that history is taking a straight line, fulfilling his purpose. It seems like chaos. It looks like a mess. 
stuff's going on in France, stuff's going on in the Middle East, stuff's going on here in our home area. But in the midst of the chaos, God is taking a straight line to fulfill his purpose. And we can get in on that if we will get convinced ourselves and give ourselves to do what God wants us to do. Our lives can have a tremendous impact on others. Your kids will catch on. Uh, Your friends can be drawn to God through your example and through the truth that you speak. Your life can have deep meaning if you'll give yourself to what really matters. So we invite you back for the rest of the series uh, to learn about getting convinced how to hold on to being convinced, and uncovering how to discover and experience what God's doing and saying in your life as you follow him. As I wrap up the message, I'd like to ask the worship team to come back on stage, and I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out the connection card you looked at earlier um, in the service and finish completing any information or next steps that I'm laying out this morning. And then when the offering ushers come around uh, to receive the offering, uh, you can just drop it in the offering basket. That'd be great. Here are some suggestions on next steps. God may have brought something else to mind. Make a mental note of that or jot it down as well. But here are some suggestions I have. Watch or read Amazing Grace on the Life of William Wilberforce. Very, very exciting, helpful, amazing to see the story. A A next step could also be For the first time, I'm going to give my life to Christ and follow him as Lord and Savior. For the first time, maybe God's brought you to the point where you are convinced, you've been investigating, seeking him out, and you're convinced of uh, who he is. And then finally, attend the rest of this message series. That could be another step, just to learn about the need to get convinced and how that happens. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word that gives us so much guidance. We honor you, we praise you, and we we ask that you'd help us to take the steps that you laid on our heart to take this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.